passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock here, along with Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. What's up, John? Uh, not a whole lot. Not too much is going on. A nice day. Um, sure. It is, yeah. Yeah, I, I have to warn everybody. I'm going through oh. some uh, internet issues pres- presently, so if there are any awkward pauses between me and John throughout this show, it's because I'm probably on a bit of a delay. It's not... Because um, we're taking time to think or anything like that. Um, although we do like to think before we speak. I think that's always good to practice. Well, uh, good to know. Uh, maybe, what, what if I do give you something very ph- philosophical to think about? You better be very quick to respond then to make sure it's not your connection. You know, I, I really do think we should learn to be more comfortable with the silence between our conversations you know so much in broadcasting is just like trying to fill the silence but come on you can say a whole lot with silence so let's practice I broke. All right. You're much better at it than me. (laughs) See, like, I I learned so much, John, in that, in those 15 seconds. Yeah, you really uh, gave some thought. Do you know where you and I were 15 years ago, right now, at this hour? 15 years ago. uh, So that would have been 20... 2006, uh, March 31st, 2006. Yep. Um, shit. Oh, would have been Chicago, right? Blood Generation and Doofixer. Oh, that was today. Yes, we were there. That is right. Yes, one of the greatest matches of all time. That was our 12 hour day at the Frontier Fieldhouse. Yeah. Yeah. The first long, long day. You know, it was our first work trip together, me and you, along with your friend Brad, I'm pretty Brad sure. Brad came along, yeah. We went for work, and he wanted to come along for WrestleMania. That's right. Yes. That, that, that's you the know, first we time be- we, we went on a work trip. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we had ba- I had barely begun at the fight network by that point, but um, and the law. But, right. uh, 
it was WrestleMania season. I guess, you know, we had planned on doing a project, a series of shorts through a ring of honor. And that day we met a lot of people. First time we spoke to Samoa Joe, we spoke to Chris Daniels and even spoke to Gabe Sapolsky. We've been around some of them at the, uh, the famous, uh, fight network party, um, the launch party, you're right. The yes. launch party. Yes. Where they hired TNA to do a show. Um, yeah, that was extremely long day, and by the end of it, I remember thinking after 11 hours in that building, I told Way, you know what I could go for right now? A 56-minute main event. <laughs> and they delivered. <laughs> what was it, Danielson and... And uh, Roddy. That Wait, or, or was it Homicide and Cole Cabana that night? That was, no, that was the next night. That was the next night when we went... And it was the goddamn chairs being thrown and still, I've told this story many times, it just scarred me because people were throwing chairs from the crowd and one dude got nailed in the back of the head with one of these chairs. I'm like, this is, this is the dumbest idea, these throwing of chairs. And that was the show we got because we went to the Hall of Fame and we looked at our watch after and it was like, we can make the end of this show. And we got there literally for like... I want to say we got there for the tail end of Danielson and Lance. And I guess mm. we saw, um, I guess we, we got there obviously to see, and, and then Cabana and Homicide ended the show. Yeah. 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 That's right. I mean, so much of that day, I think was a bit of a fog, but, um, to know that we were there for uh, a number of great matches like that is pretty cool. Wow. 15 years ago, hmm. a long time ago. Well, tonight we have uh, Dynamite to discuss. We have some news to go through. Uh, and we'll mention it one one more time about Saturday. We've got post-podcast day. So for all of you that are listening, if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, or you're not, well, it's a brand new month on Thursday. So the absolute best time to join the cafe. It will give you access to all of our bonus shows. And it's going to be a very busy couple of weeks uh, leading into WrestleMania and coming out of it, uh, but also gaining you access to post-podcast day this Saturday at noon Eastern for all cafe members. That is correct. And in addition to that, of course, you have Rewind to SmackDown access every single Friday, live or archived. You have access to our Falcon and Winter Soldier reviews on MCU Later with me and WH Park. Our Creed 2 review is set to take place sometime in the next month, as well as Rewind Away, talking about some New Japan. So all that and more for your pledge to the Post Wrestling Cafe, postwrestlingcafe.com. And all of the information for post-podcast day can be found up on the website, postwrestling.com slash podcast day. We'll have a Q&A with Ariel Hawani. The Nubian wrestling advocates will assemble. We've got worst WrestleMania matches ever with Braden and Davey. Uh, a live Ask Away with the two of us. And of course, Gary Michael Capetta joining Martin and Benno. Yeah, I'm very excited for all of those. And let's not forget Turned Out a Punk with Damian Abraham and Tim from Tribe Called Red. And uh, I believe they might be attempting some form of watch-along for an episode of The Wrestlers that Tim appeared on. So that'll be a lot of fun. Well, there you go. Uh, six hours of post-wrestling and should be a lot of fun on Saturday. So we hope many of you will be joining us uh, coming up. And uh, we'll also note uh, we'll be live Friday with Rewind to SmackDown as usual. And Thursday, we will have an interview with Dr. Alex Patel up on the site. It's been a couple of months since we have uh, checked in with him. And uh, guess what? This virus isn't going away. So 
Dr. Alex Patel is going to come and answer all of our all of our new questions that we have formed over the last three months. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I was hoping our next conversation with with Alex was going to be very different, but certainly in Ontario, we are in the midst of, I think, a period where we're we're looking for more answers um, now than ever. So, Alex, I think is a very welcome conversation. I'm looking forward to having. Uh, if you're a patron, we have a feedback thread up on the forum for you to leave questions to. Or if you just want to leave, you know, your your questions under this, uh, wherever you want to reach us, I'll try to work all that stuff in as well. So we'll go on over to some news items, just a few things to get through before the Dynamite review. Uh, not uh, anything uh, revelatory, but nonetheless, USA Network and WWE making it official that NXT will be moving to Tuesdays beginning April 13th. So the Tuesday after WrestleMania and it is now official. We will have uh, pro wrestling on national television every night of the week. And you compound that with uh, Ring of Honor in syndication and all the other uh, streaming shows that are out there as well. Uh, it is five nights a week minimum of pro wrestling and uh, NXT moving to Tuesdays. I, I wrote about this today in the update that, you know, if we're going by the mini and it was a very small sample of the experiment last summer when NXT went to Tuesdays and AEW went unopposed those two weeks on Wednesdays. Kind of what what we can be looking for in terms of uh, audience gain, I think certainly this is going to benefit NXT, I think, greatly moving to Tuesdays. And, you know, the NHL, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that there was no way USA could be picking up these games and you leave NXT on Wednesdays. It was going to cause either multiple preemptions uh, all over the place or you move it. So I think this is the wise move to be making. And the next question will be, what does this mean for AEW on Wednesday nights without having a direct wrestling competitor? I think it's a great question. You know, we've seen unopposed nights for AEW and, um, you know, one-offs due to whatever reason, but I don't think they've resulted in such significant, you know, changes in the in viewership that but you know we haven't really seen sort of a sustained unopposed evening for AEW. so how is that going to change them how is it going to affect nxt will they grow considerably either way i think it's a huge benefit not just for the promotions but for the fans um you know this this whole wednesday night wars thing it was fun it was probably fun for about like six months and then after that it's just like i've had enough of like the constant back and forth every Thursday, whenever these numbers come out, it's just like, it's too much, you know, everybody just like, enjoy it all. We all have a chance now. Tuesday, you can watch NXT, you can be an NXT fan again. You can be an AEW fan on Wednesday. It makes it much more easy for people like us to, to watch it, certainly. And, you know, we can give equal time now to all these shows, which is, I think, ultimately a very good thing for the fans. I'm going to miss my Thursday 4 o'clock p.m. hour of comedy as people got upset at math. I'm going to miss that part because uh, that it was astounding to me. There was never a week it wasn't. Um, just uh, going back, like some of uh, like looking back at those two weeks that NXT went to Tuesday nights, not to say this is going to be uh, the case as they move to Tuesdays that they can expect these increases. But those two weeks. Uh, the increases they saw over the previous four head-to-head -head shows was 25% in viewers, 33% in their demo. So maybe that's, you know, expecting too much of what they're going to retain every Tuesday night. But I think what it does show is the idea of going to a new night that we've got to establish the new night and we got to educate people that it's on Tuesdays. 
I don't think that's going to be as big a problem as some think it's going to be. When they tried this out, and AEW got to see this on Thursdays, and they got to see it on a Saturday as well. These are viewers on both shows that will follow. And I don't think it's going to be this big migration process. I think people are going to be aware it's on Tuesday, and I think the effects will be immediate. I think so, too. I think, you know, at this point, you're you're dealing with some pretty hardcore fans that are watching both NXT and AEW. And I think you're dealing with a very kind of internet savvy audience as well that that'll be very much aware uh, through kind of, you know, social media and things like this. So I, I, I agree. And like, it's not like they're moving to a Saturday. It's not like they're moving to like, you know, Friday at midnight or anything like that. Like, it's a pretty much like similar type of viewing pattern for most people, I would say, shifting from Wednesday at 8 p.m. to Tuesday at 8 p.m. So I don't think it's much of a change. In fact, like, I do wonder if you'll see more kind of um of a lead-in through Monday Night Raw. I mean, I guess I'm not expecting it because I thought that would be the case of Monday to Wednesday. And we see so little of that. I'm I'm expecting it's going to stay the exact same. Even though it makes sense, like from one night to the next, that you would get that push from Raw, but it just seems like NXT is on an island and they do not figure into Raw or SmackDown storylines in any way. Do you expect WWE to put any sort of counter programming through the network? Not that it would, you know, like have any bearing, I would say, on, on an AEW number or anything like that, but do you see them putting anything on Peacock at the same time? In time, I could see that. Um, because again, I think this is more so this is a move because of the NHL. This is not a, a case of them you know, deciding that we don't want to be against AEW. So I could see in time that they put something up there. But I, I, I don't know what you are going to... Like a, a streaming option to me on Peacock, is that going to eat away at no. AEW's audience? I don't think so. So I don't see that happening in the short term. But that was... Um, I remember when the story first broke, like that was Cody Rhodes' reaction was that they expect probably something else will end up on, on Wednesdays. But at least on, on linear television, that that I don't see happening um, because it can't, um, given the, cur- the current options, unless it's a different broadcaster there with. Do we also know what time it'll, like NXT will go up on the network? 24 hours later. It's okay, so or, it'll Sorry, it's, it'll be on Peacock 24 hours later, and I assume that will be the same for those international okay great so i mean for some people i mean if they don't choose to watch tuesdays you can watch dynamite and go right to the network and watch nxt um that's right yeah the, you, you in theory i believe that i know that's the case for peacock so we will see if international follows and uh i did speak to someone at rogers who echoed the fact they'll be moving it to tuesdays in canada as well so it'll it's not going to be on a one-day delay in in canada so uh, everyone will be in sync with it uh, in this country. And we can move on to Raw's number from uh, Monday night. It was it, This was interesting. They did 1,701,000 viewers. So it was their lowest viewership of the year. Um, every week I've been talking about, like their viewership is in this pattern. Like they are 1.8 million every week, give or take uh, several thousand. And this week they fell to their lowest of the year. Uh, their demo, though, was 0.57. They were number one for the night, and they were up this week. And many of their demographics were up this week, with the exception of uh, women 18 to 49, which was only down 5%. But their 50-plus audience, which is their largest demographic, 
was down 13 and a half percent. So that demo like w- is the weighted uh, portion of this audience that sunk it to its its lowest amount this year. So as we look at it, the the pattern throughout the show was actually a very healthy one. It's the one we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks where the first to third hour growth was very good in pretty much all the demos, except for adults over 50, who not only were they down this week, 13.5%, but those that did tune in tuned out at a rate of 13% throughout the show. So you have a case of what is typically your audience that is your foundation of this show, that to me, that's more reflective of the quality of the show and that what is working for others is not working for your oldest demo that seemed to be... Uh, tuning out of the current product and it hurts your overall viewership, but it's not affecting Raw's placement. And overall, I would still say, you know, you're finishing first on cable. Your demo was up this week. Uh, Those are some positives, even if your viewership was the lowest of the year. And that is, um, you know, that's, that's notable too. What would entice somebody to stick around for that show? I have no idea. Well, wait, there was like, fuck. Their 18 to 34 audience was up 40% this week, which means SmackDown and Raw, back-to-back shows, did very good 18 to 34 numbers. And that demo grew over 22% throughout the show. And, like, you look at this, and this is a show that, this was very, very healthy growth patterns for most of their demos, like, that were not turning people off throughout throughout this show. And, you know, we are also seeing the, the... I don't know what you pin it on because I'm I'm with you. It's a little perplexing, but there's obviously um, things that are connecting with a large amount of their, I won't say a large amount of their audience because their largest audience is turning this off as the show goes on, but they're on their own. The rest are not. Listen, the young people love their charades. Uh, you know, I guess they love their bad, uh, bad bunny impressions and um, they love, um, uh, man, what the fuck? What was in the main event here? I don't even remember. What was the main event? Um, they closed the Drew, show. With, Drew uh, and it was Lashley and, and Drew. Yeah. So, uh, uh, with the uh, with with the matches with with Ali and Ricochet, yeah. and then ending with uh that that whole angle with King Corbin. So you know what? I take everything back. I said on Monday, this works. Everybody, this was a great show. It was a very, very strong success. Very strong. Well, maybe you can try and figure out that number. Here's one that is more stunning. So last week, Impact did their lowest number of the year. They did 116,000 viewers, 0.04 demo number. Now this week, uh, they were going against NCAA basketball, which has definitely hurt wrestling the throughout this uh, March Madness. This week... I thought this was an error, but it appears to be the legitimate figure that impacted 116,000 last week, way, their lowest of the year. This week, 38,000 viewers, 0.01 demo figure. That's a, hmm. I, I, I don't care what your sports competition is, to fall to that level is shocking to me. Shocking. What, what's the explanation? I mean, is it just I, I basketball? Don't, I, I can't just pin that all on basketball especially for impact that is like they saw like when they fell to 116 last week, it was like, that was like an aberration for the impact audience. That's usually it's pretty close. It might be up a little down a little, but you're not seeing giant swings. So 
to fall that much this week. Um, again, I I thought maybe there's some kind of error here, but that appears to be the number. Interesting. I we'll guess maybe it... maybe wrestling fans don't want to see someone celebrate his 1,000th match with a promotion. <laughs> or maybe they just thought, oh, it's on Thursdays now. I don't have to tune in today. <laughs> maybe they, they just they, they got the they, – they thought too too early. They thought that the move – they're going to tune in tomorrow and be like – Then I'll tell you what. NXT's in for a rude awakening tomorrow, aren't they? I thought it was on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have no clue. I mean, you know, whenever something is this drastic, I think we await to see if it's a trend or just a bit of an anomaly. Um, That's it. I mean, this could – I'd be very shocked if this is a, if this is any kind of trend and next week we're back to the exact – well, next week's the Thursday debut, which is actually a show that I think they have a very big main event with Kenny Omega wrestling, uh, but they right. are going against TakeOver. So, um, Ooh, yeah, that's yeah this was – easy. It's going to be tough. Um so there you go. Uh, Mike Johnson at PW Insider reporting that Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax will defend their women's tag titles on night two of WrestleMania. And on this coming Monday's Raw, uh, they will set up a multi-team match. We're not sure of the teams yet, but they will have a match on night one with the winners advancing to night two. So there you go, Way Figuring out the puzzle that is the women's tag team title picture for WrestleMania. It seems like uh, it's all peaking after all these months of buildup. Well, I hope they have a great match because, um, you know, I think we we saw today, you know, you can overcome a bad story by having a great performance when it's time to actually have the match. So uh, I hope that's the case for the women. Uh, we noted it on Monday. Uh, Road Dog Brian James is now out of the hospital. So that is obviously uh, good news as he will be, I guess, on, on the road to recovery. He put uh, a statement out that he's got... Uh, his work ahead of him, but that's that's good news to know that he is out of the hospital after that issue. And way, Nate Diaz is coming back May fifteenth. He's going to be fighting Leon Edwards at UFC two sixty two in cool. Houston, Texas. This was huge news on on Tuesday night. Wow, awesome, great. He's a big name. He is. He is a very big name. Have you followed any of the of the John Jones drama with? The UFC has that uh, penetrated your world? I mean, really, just through you. I know they're they're basically bargaining on social media. Yeah, it's a very it's very interesting. Jones came out today and he threw the exact figures out. He said he had a discussion with uh, Hunter Campbell, who is the uh, you know one of the key people at the UFC, and he Jones made it clear that eight to ten million dollars for this fight is too low. Do not even come to me with those figures, which is going to put you into a position where 99% of fighters out there are going to look at that and say, dude, I'll fight for a fraction of that. And Derek Lewis basically said that exact same thing, that he would be more than willing uh, to fight for anything approximating that figure. But in the grand scheme of things, like John Jones is someone that when you look at what this fight can do. Um, he has every right to command, like this is an enormous fight and he is trying to, you know, make sure he gets paid what he can, but it's at a time when fighters have never had less leverage with this ESPN deal and the UFC, it's like, they are not servants any longer to pay-per-view where they're taking in so much of their revenue based on how a pay-per-view performs. Like they, they have a set 
guarantee that they get for every pay-per-view. It's ESPN that would be the ones wanting such a big fight. They're going to prosper in that kind of scenario. And for a John Jones, like this will be an interesting game because what the UFC is going to do is that they have a backup plan in Derek Lewis who will happily take that fight. And it's the age-old debate of fighters being perceiving that they're underpaid and when they try and use leverage it's it's not a united front like you are you are always going to have fighters that are willing to fight for less and for a john jones like he very well may be entitled to an enormous amount for this fight with francis and ganu which could be gigantic but um it will be very interesting it's a fight that has a, an enough a big public demand. I would say that fight will be an enormous one if they can make it, but it could also upset the salary structure. So I think it's a very intriguing story to follow in MMA. So let's move on now to Dynamite. All your news can be found at postwrestling.com and look out for our interview, as we mentioned, with Dr. Alex Patel on Thursday. We also have a really great show on Brian Pillman, the loose cannon DVD that we just did for Rewind Away. I, I really like that show a lot, Way. I did too. I really enjoyed the chat. I thought you provided a lot a lot of great extra information that wasn't necessarily in the documentary. And we'll talk about like, you know, WWE's presentation of uh this man's very interesting story. Uh and, and this all of course comes ahead of the Dark Side of the Ring premiere, which will focus specifically on on uh Brian Pillman. So I think it's a great primer to set you up for that. Uh and I enjoyed the conversation we had. Yeah, I think it's a great to get you kind of up to speed on a lot of the story because I, I think that Dark Side episode will be pretty fantastic uh, with the research that I imagine went into that. Uh, and that's going to be a two-hour premiere that they do. So it's going to be a pretty in-depth look. And I think that um, I, I thought you and I got into a lot of interesting discussion about Brian Pillman and how you assess a figure like that and what that – it's so much of a figure that we have looked at the physical toll he took. And I don't think enough on the emotional pain that he probably went through throughout a lifetime of pain and suffering and loss. And it, it just an enormous amount. It's a very complex story with Brian Pillman. So if you want to check that out, that is the latest edition of rewind away, but we move on to dynamite and the show began with the first singles match for one Christian Cage since 2014, making his AEW debut against Frankie Kazarian, who is 11-0 this year, they noted. And Excalibur even brought up their ladder match from 13 years ago without mentioning Impact Wrestling, who we are doing a uh, who we are lending our AEW champion to in their biggest pay-per-view ever in a couple of weeks' time. But couldn't work in a mention of who Impact are. I mean, I wasn't sure why. Um, you have, you know, one of the heads doing an ankle for you right now. So not that this really needed it, you know, like if you really wanted to go all the way, you could have actually shown the footage. But, um, you know, I'm, something tells me that this was just a bit of an extra add in from Excalibur here. Maybe he didn't want to, you know, uh, step on any weird um, toes. You know, that that match that they had, that ladder match. I'm pretty sure it was it was either me or Moro Ranallo. One of us did the interview, but it was like days before that, uh, speaking to Frankie Kazarian. And dude, that guy was so 
excited for that match to be wrestling Christian Cage. Like he was viewing it like this is a huge break in my career to be working with Christian Cage on a pay-per-view in a ladder match too. Like this was not going to be some throwaway match. So it was a big deal to him uh, at the time. So the crowd is chanting, you still got it. Uh, This, this being the crowd consisting of like the talent as well, which I've always thought like wrestlers hate this chant. They do not want to hear you still got it. (sighs) Mm. I I mean, um, would it be work better if they didn't hear it? <laughs> you don't have it. <laughs> yeah, that would be tough. So they worked an interesting match. It was it was heavy on selling, primarily from Christian and Kazarian. Kind of his growing frustration. He was wearing down Cage using this cravat, and again, it's just heavy, heavy selling from Cage. And then they're slowly escalating things. Kazarian is focused on this chicken wing that he's been utilizing of late, while Cage is trying to work for the kill switch, and Kazarian is is cutting him off. Um, throughout the show, we also got wipeout promos, so you could technically say that John Cena made multiple appearances on Dynamite on Wednesday. I think he was there in previous weeks, too. So, yeah, he's all over the show. Kazarian hit a springboard leg drop off the middle rope for a two count and then hit the flux capacitor for another near fall. Um, Then there's a kill switch that gets blocked. He misses his follow-up springboard leg drop and Christian Cage hits a top rope splash for his near fall. So essentially with the flux capacitor and the splash, we built up to each having a big near fall. The kill switch and chicken wing get blocked and then Kazarian's shoulder is run into the post allowing Christian to hit the kill switch and pin Kazarian in 16 minutes and 33 seconds. An extremely long match by AEW standards. It was a, uh, it was not a very flashy match. And I think this is probably going to be a polarizing one to some. I, I liked the match. I, I got into it, but this was not your match that you would be uh, comparing to say the trios match that we'll get to later. No, and I think if you're expecting that level of match from Christian, like you you probably have never seen a Christian match. I actually thought this was a really good way of reintroducing Christian because, you know, it wasn't a pay-per-view match. It wasn't even the main event. So people, I think, are coming in with relatively low expectations and with low stakes attached to it. I didn't really hear a great deal of buzz for a match like this. And I think a great deal of that is because um, Christian is a very kind of like subtle type of wrestler. I think I think it takes a great deal of appreciation for, you know, uh, things like selling and pacing to really enjoy Christian's style. But I thought this was a match that exactly displayed those strengths of his. This was 20 minutes of solid storytelling where he really kind of like got to show his psychology. And he really, again, continues to show maybe even now more so than before. Like like he's somebody who seems to understand how to take his time, how to keep a story going through your, your body language and your facial expressions without only relying on the moves. And that is something that is very different from your typical AEW star. And so I see a match like this, um, and I'm actually more excited to have, to see Christian's integration into the roster because I think he brings something very different. Only You only have like a real, real handful of guys on that roster with fundamentals like his who may be able to, able to provide that younger roster with that level of experience. So I think he'll be of tremendous benefit uh, to those younger ro- t- talents. And it actually makes me very curious to see how he'll gel with somebody who is of a totally different, more physical style, like a Phoenix or a Kenny. 
Yeah, I thought he had a great opponent for this type of match. I thought that they, it was like a slow building match. And by the time they got to, like, they didn't overdo it with any, um, you know, going going for constant big moves or stuff. It was like, we're going to build to Kazarian's flux capacitor and the, the splash. The Christian missed one and then he hit it on the second one. Like, those were your high spots of the match. And then the end where it was just Kazarian making a mistake, his he gets posted and then boom, finally Christian hits the kill switch that he had been uh, working on. So kind of explaining like a backstory that Kazarian had this guy scouted as well. While you're also trying to uh, convey that this is Christian's first match in seven years. Like Kazarian should be the one that is more, um, that is more seasoned, that is more prepared. Yeah, totally. I thought Kaz was tremendous in this match. He really lit the activity here, and I thought he was awesome allowing Christian to tell that underdog story. Uh, he's somebody who, who, is, who is so incredibly underrated. But I'm really excited to see more of Christian. You know, it would be a a big mistake if he came on here trying to wrestle like Kenny or the Bucks. That's just not, not to me, why I would watch a match of his. It's not why he was probably hired. Uh, he was hired to to do what other people can, and I thought he showed that here. We also went, this match airing commercial-free, AEW didn't go to a commercial till 22 minutes into the show. I I think that's like, it it happens a lot. AEW never breaks in their first match. And I think like that is something that if you're sitting down and say you're sitting down and starting NXT, and even if they're going to picture-in-picture, but they're taking that break eight, nine minutes in, and you're flipping over... um, this is the sh- like by this point, if you're just sticking around and suddenly you're 22 minutes in, I'm not flipping back and forth. I'm already deep into this show. I'm just sticking with this. Totally, totally. I mean, you know, we do call the last match of the main event, but uh, most weeks it's that first match that is the most important in attracting eyeballs. You know, so I, I think it was a a big role for Christian, and I thought he did really well. You know, definitely interesting to to see going forward without competition on the other channel how the formats of these shows change you know will AEW be more willing to air things like video packages without having the worry of somebody flipping over to the next channel how is that going to affect both shows uh format wise yeah it'll be very interesting to see how both shows uh change um i mean is picture is picture in picture even necessary anymore yeah, I think it's 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 established now into both presentations that they're not going to drop something that might be viewed as a as an asset to the viewer. Uh, but it'll be interesting. We also did not mention in the news that uh, next Wednesday's first night of Takeover, they are going to simulcast it on Peacock. So next week's show, it's clear like this this is not a Takeover that is just about doing a doing a television number. Like this is as much about getting people familiar with Peacock, pushing Peacock. Uh, I don't know how the commercial situation will work out on Peacock. Like, will it just replicate the ads that are on USA? Will it have uh, limited commercial breaks and that will push people to Peacock? But regardless, like that is going to hurt the television number next week when people have the Peacock option, which might have less commercial interruption on it. Very interesting. Well, I mean, it helps that they're all the same company. And uh, even in Canada, I wonder if Rogers will go along with it, with with it being on a Rogers service. Uh, then we had the video of Darby Allen with Sting, and this was just another uh, Darby Allen style of video, stating that Matt Hardy's body is breaking down, 
and that big money Matt just hides his insecurities. You used to earn people's respect. Now you try to buy it. And he's got the cutout of Matt Hardy over the face. And they're tossing money off of a bridge. As Darby says, your money doesn't mean shit to me. So he's still feuding with Matt Hardy? This thing is still going on? That was the setup last week. Yeah, I guess so. I just, um... Oh, sorry. I'm thinking, of Sam... I'm thinking of Sam Guevara and Matt oh, yeah, Hardy. That, that, that ship has sailed, yes. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's got done with Cage. He's moving on to Matt. Now, I guess I thought Matt was still uh, going up against the Dark Order, but I, I guess he's got several feuds going on with different people. Matt's got a lot of money programs on on the horizon. It's a, it's a big day for him in uh, 59 minutes. It's Q2. That's right. Yes. Gets to keep so 100% get of his, his earnings again. Yeah, big quarter coming up. So right after this video, we come back from break, and it's a Jade Cargo video. She looks and sounds like money, and when I was booked by TK, I made that money. And she's cutting this promo on Red Velvet to keep talking that shit. I am that woman. I am that bitch. So, so I, AEW is going one step further. They've got like the, the go-to word in wrestling, of course, is bitch. That means your program is a heated one. But back-to-back uh, -back videos where we got to drop a shit in there as well. Well, if you're on cable and if you allow it, then I guess why not, eh? Uh, I, I, have, I definitely like understand, you know, relying on a crutch like the word bitch um, for a newer star. And I think we see it with Bad Bunny. We see it with Jade Cargill. I kind of like it a bit better with Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill is a very good promo already, mm -hmm. I think. Um, Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall. This was the unsanctioned exhibition match with Arn Anderson. Didn't realize this was unsanctioned until Justin Roberts announced it. Yeah, why did it really need to be? Just so I guess Arn could be the ref, because otherwise, like he's not. Because he, I guess he's not a real official. Yeah, I guess Rogue Ref here. And then we have the Nightmare family members surrounding the ring. And I like this at the beginning uh, where Cody comes out and QT's already in the ring. And Jim Ross points out that QT doesn't get an entrance. I love this. I thought was like it was a great, great point that Jim Ross just like that set the whole scene for the match. Well, I mean, I, I, for sure it was intentional. You know, here, like, it, here you have. Cody getting this big grand entrance with pyro and just everything. And then there's QT Marshall already in the ring. So I, th I thought it was great scene setting and told you a lot of story even before they locked up. Cody's got his shoulder taped up. They explain the partially torn labrum he's working with and they shake hands. And the story of this is Cody out wrestling this guy at every turn and then when he gets uh, the advantage, like he has an opportunity to stomp QT, he doesn't take it. Uh, and then it's QT who gets upset, shoving Cody, and then attacks the shoulder. This was, this was like a really well-structured match for what they were trying to do. Like here's QT. Uh, Cody's trying to be the gentleman, but QT's going to go after his shoulder. And Cody comes back after the break, and he sets up for the figure four but doesn't follow through. Does the same with the crossroads. And JR just says, QT cannot out-wrestle Cody Rhodes. A chant of Cody's friend starts. And then as QT gets back into the ring with Cody opening up the ropes, QT walks over and decks Arn Anderson with a shot. Everyone is stunned. 
QT goes to the stage and suddenly once it sinks in what he's done, he's got this look of regret on his face. So the Nightmare family members get into the ring and all of a sudden, it is a civil war. Anthony Agogo, Aaron Solo, and Nick Camarado attack Cody, Dustin, Billy Gunn, and even Lee Johnson. Johnson gets powerbombed onto the stage by uh, Camarado, who just was the monster here in this segment. QT steps on the man's face, on Lee Johnson's face, then snaps Arn's arm onto the guardrail. Uh, Komarodo then lifts the steps onto the stage. Dustin uh, turned back the clock to double or nothing with Cody. He just was bleeding a gusher here. Um, uh, Two big uh, segments involving blood on this show. QT wipes the blood onto Solo's shirt before delivering a pile driver to Dustin on the steps before they change focus to Cody, where Anthony Agogo drills him with a left hand to the body. They put Cody's head onto the steps. Cody is then, uh, as he's laying there, QT hoists up a chair for like a concerto onto the steps, but Red Velvet runs out to stop and save Cody, and the, I guess, heel unit of the Nightmare family leave uh, with what looks to be yet another faction in AEW that is very faction heavy, but um, a big angle. How did you think it uh, came across and was executed? Well, first I really enjoyed the match. I thought the storytelling was really strong here. And in fact, like when um, QT had the heat, you know, I, I know like they have to take commercials and typically they'd like to do it when, you know, the heel has the advantage, but man, I almost wish like they showed us a bit more of QT working over Cody's shoulder here because I thought it was a very significant part of the story. I thought they did the match really well. And, you know, I, they, I think they're really trying hard to make you understand QT's motivation because Cody is definitely a dick in this story, right? Like, <laughs> like, you know, like showing mercy when really like I, he, he didn't really need to, um, you almost have sympathy for QT, but the one thing they did to make you definitely boo QT is to have QT inexplicably attack Arn Anderson, one of the most beloved people in pro wrestling, you know, and, and when you attack Arn, there's no way to cheer for somebody like that. Uh, so I thought by the end here, they kind of made the distinction really strong between heel and babyface, but you do understand why QT turned. I thought the angle was great. I think we all expected QT to cement the turn here, but... I didn't expect him to bring three others along for the ride. And I didn't expect there to be so much blood in this angle. I really like the the choice of guys in the stable. Everybody feels like they're bringing something different. Komarodo in particular is the obvious standout, but Solo is a veteran that I mean, I think is more than ready to have a spot like this. Agogo is relatively new, but I think he brings some real life credibility. So immediately the fact that I can name every single one of these people tells you that it's, it's probably uh, going to be very strong for the three of them. It, to me, felt a little like the Nexus attack, except, you know, kind of with more with fewer nameless bodies, maybe a better story and some actual veteran leadership in QT. So it not only elevates him, it also elevates the the members of uh, the Nightmare family that are on the babyface side. People like Red Velvet and Lee Marshall, who now have rivals we all want to see them get revenge on. So they, I think, in one swoop managed to elevate a ton of people in this. I liked it for for that part. I mean, this really put a focus on th- th- these, you know, a go go solo and Komarodo. 
I actually could have gone without the blood. I didn't think it was necessary. I think the angle was heavy enough just with the attack and the pile driver on the steps um, that to me, especially when you were doing the Dax Harwood thing later on, that I just thought, save that, save that for something like you've already got the shock do you of the think, attack. Do you think the, do you think the Harwood was hard way though? Uh, like it looked like it was in the back of the head. That he got like, busted over. Well, the it thing was, was like, we didn't see it on, on screen. We just, like, pan over, mm-hmm. and Harwood's all bloody. So it's kind yeah. of like we we don't even, we didn't even see what exactly happened that, that led to it. So it makes me wonder if it was planned or, or if it just happened. I mean, I, and that I, said, even without the Dax Harwood thing, like, I, I didn't think, like, Dustin doing a big blade job, like, to me, that was an afterthought in this angle. Um, it was a small thing. I just, I, I don't think that was, uh, completely necessary uh either um so anyway it was a big segment um quicker than i thought they were going to do this i thought you were going to kind of tease this qt cody uh rivalry and then have the explosion at a later date but i will say there is no there is no more uh annoying heel tactic than a guy that's going for his submission on you and he just gives up on it saying "I'll, i'll spare you like, dude, if you and I were rolling and you just suddenly transitioned and had my arm, but you didn't even, like, lean back, you just gave up on it and, like, patted me on the head, like, would have got you. Would have been like, fuck you. You know, I have no respect for my defensive abilities either. I'd be furious at that. Oh, absolutely. I think you'll find a lot of QT sympathizers here. You know, maybe that's why he already had three people following him. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's to me, like, um, sometimes, you know, the ability to see the villain side of things that makes for a compelling feud. Those are the best stories where you can understand where the villain is coming from, but you despise that person. It's like, I don't care that he can justify it. That's an awful person. Yeah. And he's going to have to make for strong characters. And he's going to have to explain why he attacked Arn to come up with some sort of justification. Um, it's it's a big and, and Dustin. It's like, dude, those two are probably the best trainers going right now in the country. Why would you attack yeah. Dustin? Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, this will probably be you know what Cody's big angle is attached to this, and you can get a lot of matches out of this too. Like I'm sure Cody wants to work with all these guys uh, that are now aligned with QT and like do like singles matches with you know Anthony Agogo has been a long term project for them, and you know Nick Comaroto. I thought he came across great as um, the big monster. It's almost like that is now the template for every faction that they have in AEW. But uh, Komaroto has a great look to him and he was put in a great spotlight here as the, as the muscle of the unit. I think it's a great way to uh, populate dark and and elevation with like matches that uh, could have some sort of bigger relevance to an overall story and I really don't mind the stable wars here in AEW. I mean, it's a it's a template that's work that works for New Japan, and uh, it kind of just provides a bit of sense and order to to everything in the in the company. Uh, then we had this uh, unique uh, vignette where it was Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky going back and forth talking about. AEW hasn't lived up to their end of the deal. Sky saying he's overlooked, and then the lights come on and they're sitting together. Uh, and this sets up the two of them teaming on Elevation Monday against Matt and Mike Seidel. 
Yeah, it was like a joint promo here. And, um, you know, it got a bit maybe too cute for um, to feel really re- realistic and believable. But I do like the two of them being paired together. They're both kind of like you almost get the sense that they're both just two guys that AEW has no other plans for. So let's just like put them together. And I do have to say, like for Sky, I do feel like this turn has been pretty poorly thought out. You know, he left. We're, we're even we're, we don't even know if he's left SCU. Like, did we see that scene yet? You know? So anyway, he goes solo only to um, win that brass rig match where he beat Ethan Page. And now he's forming a new team with him. So, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think we need a bit of explanation, but I, I look forward to seeing Page and Sky together to see what they can do creatively. North and South. North and South. Okay. Yeah. Dasha interviewed Red Velvet, who she said she's always got Cody's back, but then she gets jumped by Jade Cargill, who tosses her into the production equipment. So we are continuing there. I actually thought that Jade was going to come out earlier and attack Red Velvet, and Jade would be aligned with this this other group as well. But we we yeah. don't have we don't quite have that. Uh, John Moxley, <laughs> this promo was great. So he's just pacing back and forth. He can't get the sound of Eddie Kingston's ankle snapping out of his mind. He asks which side the Young Bucks are on. I'm really pissed off. I've got burns on my skin, barbed wire scars, and a headache. That really pisses me off. And headaches piss me off too. He says that Cesar Bononi, he looks great. He looks like a Baywatch bodyguard. You can make a lot of money with him. But not if I kill him tonight. (laughs) I love this promo. Make a lot of money on him, but not if I murder the man. Interesting way to build up to a squash match. I mean, this is it. Till death do they part. So John Moxley took on Cesar Bononi with Ryan Nemeth and JD Drake in his corner. Uh, Nemeth grabbed Moxley's leg and this allowed Bononi to get the heat as they went through the break. Moxley came back with forearm strikes and a German Superplex into an arm bar, but then J.D. Drake distracts the referee. Nemeth comes in and gets hit with the paradigm shift. And as Caesar attacks from behind, the pump handle gets countered into the rear naked choke. And Cesar Bononi just collapses to the mat. And he goes out, Moxley, then kisses him on the back. And Caesar is asleep. They do this close-up of him. This man knew how to sell a rear naked choke. I will say that. You know, it's a pretty big way to lose if you're like a giant here, like Cesar Bononi. But I think um, for how maybe low he is on the roster, by the time he eventually makes it to sort of a main event level where a loss like this would actually matter, I don't think he'll really remember something like this. And uh, this happens to like, you know, like young lines all the time. They lose in embarrassing fashion and then like they'll come back when they're a main eventer to seek revenge and they'll beat the other person. So I thought it was like an impressive win for John Moxley being a larger man. Um, the match was really just kind of, to me like an above average WWE match, but I thought a really cool finish with that pump handle into the rear naked choke. I, I like the ending sequence with the submission. I thought, you know, Benoni sold it like really well. It was a, uh, yeah, it's a nice finish. Team Taz, everything's fine. Starks and Cage then argued, so they're not fine. But Taz insists no one can stop the path of rage. And I guess we're waiting for, I guess, the shooter drop in this angle because they sort of just feel like they're in a holding pattern now until they're ready to execute the next stage of this group. Yeah, I guess so. 
MJF is with the pinnacle. He's hired a stylist and an interior decorator to fix this dump. And with that, MJF in the in the room opens up the bathroom door. And there is the inner circle. I had a lot of questions. Like how long were they waiting in this supposedly terrible smelling bathroom? How did they get in there? Have they been in there all night? When did the pinnacle arrive? Did they not see any shadows through the door? Did they all stand that long just staring a hole through that door until it opened? And what if MJF never opened the bathroom? Yeah, what if they what if they didn't have to go for a long time? Um anyway, a lot this was, would have not worked. My immediate reaction was this is a very this is a very bizarre way for the inner circle to come back. But then we got this unbelievable brawl. Uh, MJF just immediately shuts the bathroom door and goes to leave the room from the other door. But there is Jake Hager and everyone pairs off. This included Sammy Guevara hitting his burning GTS to Spears in the hallway and then slamming the door on Spears head. Hager and Wardlow fought with Hager putting Wardlow through the massage table then Santana and Ortiz fought with FTR, where Cash Wheeler was knocked into an ice bath. And then we get the we pan over, and after this uh, uh, weapon had been broken, we see Dax Harwood, and he is just bleeding an insane amount. And the blood is all over uh, Santana's shirt. And then we cut to Jericho and MJF in the bathroom, which culminates with MJF's face being forced into the toilet. And then rams him into the fridge and pours the bubbly over him. And to really cement this blood feud, Jericho said, this is our dressing room, bitch. (laughs) You know, I I agree that maybe the way that um, the inner circle initially arrived felt a little bit comical. And I was feeling a little bit uneasy because I was thinking, man, like, wouldn't it have been great if they like came back in a bit more dramatic fashion in front of a crowd or something? But they more than made up for that with this very intense beatdown. And I loved how the uh, the creativity that was put into every single spot here. I loved how each member of the team has their own counterpart on the other side. This already feels like a very hot feud. And Tully just got the hell out of there. He he was uh, kind of beaten up, you know, or threatened at least by Santana and Ortiz for a bit. Well, yes, this was... uh... It was a hell of a brawl that they had, a very violent one. And from there we go to the segment with Alex Marvez and the Young Bucks, who don't want to air any more dirty laundry about Kenny Omega. So Don Callis walks in and pretty much just tells Nick to F off because he's going to talk to Matt. And Callis says he loves Omega. And he thought and he tells Matt that what you did last week, you broke his heart. He chose this place, not AEW. He chose you and Nick. And you chose to leave Kenny bleeding in the ring last week. And he asks Matt, are you dead inside? What's wrong with you? And then he slaps the shit out of Matt Jackson. And Matt grabs Callus, but he calms down and lets him go. And Callus asks, is there anything in you at all? And calls Matt pathetic. So we are not that far removed from... These guys super kicking Don Callis. Do do we not remember that? Um, you know, a lot happened uh, in in these few months with with these several people. Did they super kick him? 
And then he pretended. Then he was pretending that he got more hurt than he, than he did. They did was yeah. He showed up with like the uh, the makeup. I could be misremembering this. Yeah. So nonetheless, pretended to be kicked. They're definitely building up to Matt eventually just beating the hell out of Don Callis at some point, but I guess making us uh, building it up for that moment. Yeah, yeah. Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers took on the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid. Uh, This was incredible. We had Laredo Kid, who was, again, uh, featured very prominently uh, throughout this match. Early on, it was... Uh, Penta, Phoenix, and Laredo Kid just doing like triple team spots. Uh, this included uh, Laredo Kid, Kid leaping onto all three opponents on the stage, and then Phoenix did a tightrope to a moonsault, and then they triple super kicked Kenny Omega while they were in the ring. We saw a pair of double tope suicidas with an acai moonsault to the floor, and then Laredo Kid gets hit by Anderson. Uh, followed by a gallows head kick, and they got the heat on Laredo Kid for a extended period of time. Eventually, Penta gets the tag, hitting Sling Blades, which allows Excalibur to note the flashbacks that the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega are probably having to Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, yeah, uh, a way to throw in a bit of um, that reference. Yeah, they. Uh, attack Phoenix in the corner. They hit a triple team neck breaker. And then everyone uh, gangs up on Carl Anderson and they turn it. Uh, they attack Phoenix in the corner. And from there, magic killer gets stopped. Uh, there's a spinning roundhouse kick by Phoenix to Omega that sends Omega into a Canadian destroyer by Pentagon. Just everyone is all over the place here. It's pretty spectacular stuff. Laredo Kid does a springboard, but is caught with a powerbomb by Omega in midair, who hits a V-trigger, sets up for the one-winged angel, and that's countered with a Rana and this insane Tope Suicida, where Laredo Kid, like, rotated himself, so he, like, almost, like, powerbombed himself in midair, coming down from this Tope Suicida to the floor. It was nuts. He was insane. Yeah, he went full speed ahead with everything. It didn't stop there. Then in this incredible sequence, Omega is staggering towards the ropes when all of a sudden, off screen, Phoenix like sprints across the top rope with a PK. God knows what he ran into off the camera. He just kept running on this top rope into oblivion. And that sent Kenny into a Michinoku driver by Laredo Kid for a near fall that I totally thought Omega was eating a fall here. Uh, Laredo Kid misses a Phoenix splash takes the V-trigger and the one-winged angel, and Kenny Omega pins Laredo Kid. This was amazing. An absolutely uh, magnificent match. Um, very, you know, slower action to start, but, I mean, intentionally done because the rest of this was such an, a video game-like incredible sprint, and it was just, it was just so awesome. Uh, it was a match where I, I don't envy you, John, for having to take play-by-play notes for because... I, even at half speed, I don't know if I, I would have been able to do it. I just sat back and enjoyed it. It was a fantastic match. Don Callis even got in a reference to Simcoe afterwards. So John Moxley then walks out with the Young Bucks. And I love this. It was Matt was still selling the effects of this dreaded slap that Don Callis delivered to him. Um, and then Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers bailed. And this is going to set up a six-man for next week. Uh, which is a pretty big match with Moxley and the Bucks against Kenny and the Good Brothers. 
seems like it's almost a bit fast to be going to this right away. But, you know, uh, in one swoop, they managed to set up both of these six band tags. And uh, I'm going to be looking forward to next week, maybe even more than this week. Yeah, that should be a tremendous match next week. Um, Britt Baker and Rebel did a promo for Elevation with Baker stating that's where Thunder Rosa can get her wins up because the biggest win of her career, the lights out unsanctioned match did not count. And Baker will continue to put AEW on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Decent promo here. Really just to kind of keep the momentum going from that great match two weeks ago. Very hard to follow up on that lights out match by what it appears to be building up to a match that will count. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know how uh, you top that on sanction match. Like that to me was like, that was the peak. I don't know how you follow that. You could have the greatest match p- possible. And I think it's like, you're going to be in the shadow of that lights out match. I have no idea. We'll see. Hikaru Shida and Ty Conti versus Nyla Rose and the bunny. Uh, Matt Hardy did a promo before stating that the bunny will no longer be excluded and is holding the dark order responsible for the financial hell he has suffered this quarter. And starting tomorrow, April 1st, he begins making 100% of his earnings and says Ty Conti will pay for the Dark Order's sins. So Dark Order is out, as is Matt Hardy and company. They note that Ty Conti is teaming with Sheeta, but Conti is the top contender. She has won eight of her last nine matches. And Sheeta is warning Matt Hardy to stay away as she gets jumped by Nyla Rose on the floor. Sheeta would fight out of the heel corner and then delivered the snap suplex to the bunny into Nyla Rose in the corner. And it looked like the bunny's like boot caught Rose right in the head. It didn't look fun. Conti comes in with judo throws, bicycle knee to the face. Uh, and then the Dark Order, Matt Hardy, Private Party, everybody is fighting on the floor. And then we get the tie KO onto Bunny. Nyla makes the save. Sheeta then takes out Rose with a high cross, but they all catch her on the floor. So Conti does her own. Everyone goes down. And then the bunny has a kendo stick. Aubrey Edwards has to walk over to Vicky. And then the bunny hits uh, Ty Conti with the loudest kendo shot imaginable. Aubrey Edwards has to no-sell this gunshot that's just gone off next to her. And the bunny hits down the rabbit hole, pinning Ty Conti. Um, uh, I actually thought, um, Conti continued to stood out here. Like I loved her hot tag. I loved the way she sold this loss as well with just that look of frustration on her face because, you know, she hasn't lost so much lately. So this one meant a big deal to her on route to that, you know, championship match against Sheeta. So I think she continues to be gaining like a good deal of momentum and like, is she's doing the most she is, she can be with the spotlight that she's being given right now before that title challenge. She was, the to me, the standout of the whole match. Yeah, I, I didn't like the finish so much. I just thought it was not that creative. Uh, but it does set up a singles match for next week with uh, Ty Conti and The Bunny, which joins uh, the six man we just mentioned, Darby Allen against J.D. Drake for the TNT Championship. The Inner Circle are going to speak. And Godzilla versus King Kong is sponsoring a match between Jurassic Express and Bear Country where we had a promo from Jurassic Express where Marco Stunt revealed a Kong tattoo he has on his forearm. Of King Kong, not Awesome Kong. Yes, yes. They uh, 
they really found a perfect pair of teams to represent each monster for this uh, sponsorship deal. So good for them. And then the main event, Arcade Anarchy, with Miro and Kip Sabian, along with Penelope Ford versus Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. How great is the best friend's entrance with the Pixies? It is fantastic. Um, I love I it. Can't wait, I can't wait to see it with the full crowd. Uh, yeah, like I think this entrance is so great. I, I, I've always loved this song, and I think it works so well with Orange Cassidy. I think that was such a, such a tremendous idea, um, however Tony Khan came up with that pairing. Well, I'd love to know how much it costs. Well, not our problem. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's uh, – he said it said that it will be they will have it in perpetuity for um all future like wherever like if they get a streaming deal, it sounds like they will have this song preserved. Awesome. Good for them. Will so, it get flagged on YouTube? Um I'm assuming you, not. You would think no. Yeah. yeah. I think the, I think they'd be I mean safe. it was on dark it was on uh dark. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's they got the rights to it, so so this was pretty much designed like this was like we were at a carnival. We had like we had arcades surrounding the ring and then one gimmicked arcade that they were going to use later, the Mortal Kombat 2 one, because God knows they were not going to destroy an actual arcade. Um, and then we had like a whack-a-mole set up. We had a prize rack. Um, what did you think of the aesthetics to accompany arcade anarchy? I thought it was pretty well done. You know, for like, you know, like short of, I guess, actually having a match at an arcade or a Chuck E. Cheese, uh, I thought they really had plenty of different elements that you would find there. Uh, you know, the, they they definitely kind of dressed the set with the, the big systems, but they weren't going to uh, destroy any of them. Number one, because uh, I guess they're expensive. Number two, because they would really hurt. But I thought like, you know, having the wall of prizes with weapons uh, put over top of it was pretty cool. Having the UFO um uh claw deal i thought was a great way to set up the return that we were going to see <laughs> that was pretty that was pretty funny um we'll, we'll get to that very clever uh, return so anyway they're they're fighting with all of the weapons uh at one point chuck taylor gets this teddy bear and empties it it's full of lego way these these four were clearly out to change your opinion of this feud Oh yes, and you know what? It worked. Um, I think I saw some Duplo in there, so yeah. Um, well done, Lego spot. The first they, of, they were uh, allowed think, to call it Lego as well. Um, yeah, I guess I guess we don't know if it was Mega Blocks or, or Lego, but I mean, Lego is sort of the 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 the, the thing that we all know. Well, oh, you're right because that you're referencing the WrestleMania match, uh, weekend match, where they yeah. couldn't call it that. Yeah. Kip, Kip delivered a sit-out powerbomb to Taylor on the Lego. Uh, Orange Cassidy made the save. He fired up with this great-looking swinging DDT and beach break combo. Uh, but Kip kicked out, hit the orange punch. Then Ford pulls Aubrey Edwards out to avoid the cover. And then Orange Cassidy comes down, and Penelope kicks him low, takes off her belt. And then as she walks towards the UFO catcher... <laughs> Chris Statlander is inside of the UFO catcher, making her return after nine months away. Um, and it was the, the tag match. It was uh, Penelope and Chris Statlander that were on opposite sides in the match that Statlander got injured. And she, she also has a connection to Orange Cassidy on BTE. Yeah, you have that as well. Um, and then she hit this big, like, fisherman buster off the apron 
through the air hockey table to Penelope Ford, which was, my God, if I was uh, coming back from nine months of injury, I don't know if I'd want to do this on night one, but more power to her. I mean, she wasn't the one taking the the boobs. She was delivering the boobs. So still going uh, through all that. It's like, God knows what this thing was made of, but hey, it seemed like it went well. I I think if you're Chris Statlander, you really couldn't have asked for a better way to return. Uh, I thought it was so clever putting her in the UFO capture. And then that incredible spot coming off of the apron through an air hockey table and then really ending it with her being paired with the best friends. I, I thought it was such a great way to, you know, have her come back with such a, so much impact and really making her relevant in, in the midst of, I think a storyline that she would really not just benefit from, but she, like, she's a, the team, I think needs somebody like her. So I, I really like this return. I, I wish it, it was kind of like where she emerges. I wish they had like built it up a little where it's like Penelope Ford is like backing away from orange Cassidy and backs up into the, UFO catcher, and then you see Chris Statlander just appear from behind. I think that could have done like a dramatic reveal. I'm thinking like, you know, wh- whoever blocked like Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 19, I think you could have gotten like a pretty cool reveal out of this. I thought it was, it was pretty st- dramatic, but yeah, maybe, maybe, sure, maybe they could. Well, it was only the second way. best return here because then uh, later in the match, Orange Cassie and, and uh, Chuck Taylor are crawling up the ramp. And a minivan approaches, being driven by Sue to drop off the returning Trent. And they all attack Miro. This was great. Miro then fights them off, is delivering head kicks, and then waves to Sue. And he goes to climb onto the car. So Trent attacks Miro. And this is where Miro comes back and grabs the fake Mortal Kombat 2 arcade and misses Trent and destroys this. It might have been one of those like uh kind of remake machines, like the one up remake machine. It looked like a box with like the uh like the artwork. Uh just they just like wrapped it with it. Yeah. I didn't think I they think were gonna were... destroy an actual arcade here, nor did nor it do look I like nor it do I think he could have lo- Yeah, nor this thing he, he like he just hoisted it. this thing up like nothing. Anyway, tr- after that, he misses Trent. Trent spears Miro through a table, and then the big final spot is Taylor with a running power slam to Kip off the stage through more tables and pins him in 1428. And we've got the Pixies playing all three hug. We get the zoom out Excalibur giving his call. And then Statlander enters the ring and joins the group hug while Sue is cheering from her minivan. Uh, This was great. It was a really great, uh, I, this, the match was fine, but to me, it was all the little like Easter eggs, the returns, and this ending that really were the strength of it for me. I hated this feud, but I loved this match, man. Like the best friends to me are like, God, like I feel like they're making a name for themselves for having like pretty bad stories, but great street fights. Great, like just fantastic, fantastic here and fantastic, of course, with what they did with uh, Proud and Powerful last time. This was just so much fun. You know, I think there's often bad plunder in wrestling, but there's good, creative, fun plunder. And this was certainly the latter. There's so many fun, creative spots. And to me, the great surprise returns of Statlander, Trent, and his mom were all just like very well planned, very well done. Um, Maybe most impressive of all, I thought Miro 
finally looked like the unbeatable monster that he we we wanted this entire time. It took three guys to beat him down. The man near like threatened Trent's mom like a horror movie monster. Uh, he looked incredible, and he didn't take the pin. So I think he comes out of this match, um, you know, like improved. And then just the closing scene with the Pixies playing behind it. I thought it was just tremendous TV. It was like a, a genuinely happy moment to go off the air with, which is something that I think is greatly um, underserved in professional wrestling. It's it's fine to do your heat and your big angles and you're going off the air with like a controversy, but sometimes every now and then it's cool for a feud to end and you go off and there's it's not a cliffhanger. It's just like it's a nice feel-good moment. And I think that every now and then, I think all wrestling companies could borrow from that. Like I, other than Big E winning the Intercontinental title on that New Year's Day SmackDown, I cannot remember a WWE program that went off the air and you just had that like genuinely feel good moment. Yeah, well, they wouldn't often go off the air with like something that wasn't um, like a, a main event for an upcoming pay-per-view, you know, like an AEW, I suppose, but they they they're willing to have like your undercard mid card feud be a main event. And often without pay-per-views, you're going to have to end those programs on TV and therefore you can, you know, have some happy endings, but yeah, it, it certainly made for a very entertaining show. So I think most people really enjoyed, I think arcade anarchy worked uh, greatly. Uh, that trails match was unbelievably great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Christian and Kazarian and you got, several big angles on this show from the returns we mentioned the cody and qt angle the return of the inner circle um hell i enjoyed like the moxley promo as well so i i didn't have too many complaints on this show i really enjoyed the show i thought you know despite it being a taped show the matches were very strong uh the creativity was very strong uh i thought and then the angles all felt significant so man like I don't think the WWE has any excuse, you know, for like having to do two, two shows in a row in a week on, on some shows. Like that's no excuse for a lack of creativity. Cause like AEW does it every two weeks. And uh, this is a, a very strong episode. I thought very strong show. Yes. Um, do you think it's, it's kind of difficult now because it's like, uh, NXT is now like they're simulcasting it elsewhere, but do, do you see it being close next week? Um, for, for the final, the final quote unquote head to head uh between With AEW the takeover and going takeover. Up against Yeah. Yeah. Um do I expect it being close? Yeah, I do. I do. I think takeover is a big is still a big draw, big, mm-hmm. big name. Um, you know, AEW I think is is still strong, but to me, like Takeover feels like a live event that most people will probably want to s- stick around and watch. And I think with some of the hysteria surrounding WrestleMania, um, that might ha- play a bit of a factor into it as well. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if um, NXT, like we've seen for some of their big shows, like they have extremely limited commercial breaks. I imagine next week might be one of those where they they very much clamp down on commercial time. But it's Mm -hmm. yeah, it will be uh, certainly next week will be the, the final one and we will see how close it is. But let's go to the forum and see what everyone had to say about tonight's show. It was a 7.95 out of 10 was the rating from the forum. So let's start things off with Johnny. The return of the inner circle was awesome. And I can't wait for the different matchups. This feud provides Christian seems to be a great addition for AEW because it adds some variance to the type of styles that AEW presents. 
Ray Phoenix is still my wrestler of the year, and I'm glad Laredo Kid got two weeks of having the spotlight on him. While I didn't like the build to Best Friends versus Miro and Kip, it might be the nostalgia of seeing Mortal Kombat and Killer Instinct 2 cabinets. I really did enjoy the main event. The only negative I have is the QT segment. I'm fine with all these factions, but this new one feels like it's tied. It's tied with the Hardy faction in terms of its level of being threatening. The heel turn of everyone else felt extremely rushed as we never got to see them interact interact on Dynamite. We got the pinnacle and Kenny's Bullet Club. It's hard to see what this new one will bring. Overall, an 8 out of 10. I mean, I certainly don't see QT's crew, you know, feuding with the Bullet Club or or like, man, any other group anytime soon. But, you know, like, I think they would they could be competitive against something like the Dark Order. It's not like the Dark Order or like world beaters or anything i really do see maybe you know that that whole feud taking place more on elevation or dark uh and maybe you know focusing on qt and maybe nick Camarado matches occasionally on dynamite we got a nick from boston who says this was a far more focused episode of dynamite while i thought last week meandered a bit tonight flowed at an exceptional pace with an immense amount of strong diverse action the experience of christian cage is going to be invaluable to this roster and he proved that even after seven years away he could still deliver an exceptional tv match the return of the inner circle was a brutal spectacle and i appreciated the cinematic quality of the beatdown i'm less sold on the nightmare factory's betrayal AEW will have to work hard to familiarize its TV audience with the likes of Solo and Agogo, who've appeared almost exclusively on their YouTube content, but the angle was still strong work. Although does it reflect poorly on Cody that everyone keeps betraying him? It'll be interesting to see how Dynamite balances having so many heel factions running rampant at the same time. The trios match was so much fun, and it's refreshing to see the Bucks put their foot down in the line with Moxley, as they can occasionally feel caught in the middle of confusing drama. If you had to pick an 80s, 90s rock song for your entrance, what would it be? Do you have a, oh. Do you have a choice? Um, No, I don't. Do you have one? What comes to mind? Oh, uh, dude, there's too much pressure. It's like asking what my favorite song is. So, uh, no. I'd come out. To, I, I'd insist I come out to Mr. Wazo. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd skip a. I'd skip a decade. Yeah, that might be later. Andrew from Cape Breton writes: I love Tony Schiavone's glee with everything that's happening. It felt like Jim Ross was going to bury the Lego, and Schiavone put it over huge, and was a real big positive to the match itself, which was another crazy plunder match featuring the best friends. Great show overall tonight, but one comment I want to make is on QT Marshall's new group. I love putting more guys on TV, and it's good to see some fresh faces in this group, but QT feels like such a poor choice to lead anything. I know looks aren't everything, but he doesn't look like a big-time star, and he also isn't this dynamic wrestler or promo. I think this spot would have been better for someone like Ethan Page or someone else who could be better in a leadership role, especially with all these guys being relative unknowns. Well, I mean, the story wouldn't work if it was... Ethan Page. I mean, it's because QT and Cody have that relationship and because he has the real background of being the trainer at this thing that you could even do it. And I do feel like he has a lot more to show on TV, QT, you know, in in the promo department than what he has. And I mean, the look does not bother me at all. Like, like it's never really bothered me. Like short of a guy being, I think so small that you can't buy that he, he can like, we know the dude is a is a leader because he trains all these people. So to me, it, that it, it's more than believable. But yeah, maybe that won't work for everybody. So maybe he does have some convincing to do. 
and the group ultimately is going to be more about the the other members, I think, than, than QT, ultimately. Like, this is kind of their introduction into, like, an actual story. We got a no one from Vaughn who says, I thought last week's show was one of AEW's best of the year, and somehow this topped it. Christian looked amazing in his return, and the Inner Circle return was one of my favorite segments they've ever done on Dynamite. The trio's match was fantastic, and Ty Conti continues to be one of the most improved wrestlers I've seen in such a short amount of time. The QT Marshall and Nightmare Factory students turning on Cody's crew was done really well, but man, that main event was just fantastic. And now is the second time that the best friends have been put in a main event gimmick match and knocked it out of the park. Just a really good feel, just a real feel-good ending to a fantastic show. Kenny writes, how many heel stables is too many? I'd say when QT Marshall is leading his own group, that's too many. At least they didn't have the lights go out again so they could sneak up on Cody. Did anyone else hear Excalibur say that the ring steps weighed over 500 pounds? I really enjoyed the opener. It started slow, but they had me by the end and the six-man. That Michinoku driver was as close to a Kotobushi tribute as I've ever seen on Dynamite. I mean, they have heel stables, but they also have babyface stables coming up at the same time, and that's going to be with Cody's new faction, or at least, you know, people in the Nightmare family, or whatever they call themselves, uh, taking a bigger step up. And the inner circle are babyfaces now. If you were to eliminate, like, a bunch of these uh, factions, there would be no TV time for a lot of these people. Like, you would have no stories going on for a Brian Cage. You'd probably, like, Ricky Starks would be, like, a lot of the, this roster is gigantic. So, in some ways, like, the factions, it at least groups everyone. So, at, at the base level, you have an identity for somebody because they're attached to this group. Are there a lot of them? Yes. But I don't know if the alternative of having just, say, two factions would be the best answer either for this roster with this limited amount of time of television time. Again, to me, it's a formula that I think works decently for uh, new Japan pro wrestling. I mean, I do sometimes wish that there are even more factions in new Japan, just because like so many guys get lost in, for instance, the bullet club. But like to me, AEW seems to have found a pretty good formula with like five member factions or under five allowing everybody to take a bit of identity and you know like we mentioned especially the big men you know uh being kind of hidden with some of the other guys not having to do all the talking not having to do all the high-flying stuff of course they just look so much better when they're you know being surrounded by smaller guys jumping just just coming in there to, to do their power spots uh so i think like they've proven that they can treat this well i think to me the jury for me is still out on the hardy family deal um but i I mean, I'm optimistic about some of these other ones. It also allows you to do those multi-person tags that keep singles matches fresh and that you're not um, like, like that. That's another thing is that, you know, it's not often that we like, when is the last singles match where people are like, oh, this again, like they're, they don't recycle matches too often in AEW. And when you have those groups, it, it can allow for you to space things out as well. Mm hmm. Uh, we go to Robbie from London who says, I really enjoyed tonight's show. As a huge fan of his TNA run, it was great seeing Christian Cage return to the ring against Kaz. Some footage of their 2000 Impact match would have been an added bonus, but for his first match in seven years, I thought it was great. Besides that, we had a great six-man, a really fun main event, and a hell of a show all, all around. Next one here. That main event was the funnest I can remember wrestling being, though the last time I said that, it was also about Dynamite. 
Keep wrestling fun, keep awesome characters like Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander featured, and keep making wild brawls that make me forget that I already thought this was the best show of the year with an amazing Inner Circle versus Pinnacle cinematic brawl, let alone that amazing main event. That was one sentence, two sentences. Uh, I could use less Bullet Club reunions if it means more Anderson and Gallows, and maybe get someone like Veda Scott to not only be some much-needed representation in the booth, but to also fill the needed role of actually giving a shit about what's happening the whole time, unlike JR. But whatever JR lacks, Shivani seems to make up for with his enthusiasm for what wrestling has become. And if you haven't seen her indie run, Chris Statlander is about to be your favorite wrestler. Because if you did see that run, she's already your favorite. Okay, this is going on very long. Okay. Um, lastly, it's clear why Tony Kong spent big for the Pixies. Doesn't that closing of the show with the goofy good guys and their mom celebrating work better with an actual song that can make you feel instead of the best friends theme. It's, it's a great addition. The Pixie song. I definitely agree with that. I agree too. Uh, I mean, um, you know, JR is going to be in the booth. Like he is the most recognizable voice on that roster of, of commentators. And I think, you know, is worth his, um, his airtime for that reason. You know, he like, like it or not, I think he brings a great deal of credibility to, a uh, casual fan who might be flipping through channels and, uh, you know, uh, recognizing his voice. But I totally agree that I think like somebody like Veda Scott would be very welcome on like another show. I think, you know, at the times I've heard her, I thought she's, she's done great. She's very familiar with all the people that are, uh, you know, coming up from the Indies. Um, I think she'd be a great addition to elevation with Tony and big show, but you know, um, they have a lot of commentators right now too. Yeah, they do. Um, so we'll see if they work her into, you know, a role at some point, because I, I, I think she's she's very talented. All right. That's all the feedback we've got. So thank you, folks, for uh, leaving your thoughts on, on Dynamite. Uh, we will also send you on over to Up Next as Brayden and Davey have a whole rundown of tonight's edition of the show leading into Take Over, Stand and Deliver next week, as we will be a week from now in the midst of the WrestleMania week. Insanity. Yeah, a lot of stuff we're preparing, and it all kicks off Saturday with post-podcast day. That's right. One last uh, push, everybody. Noon Eastern time. It'll be kicking off with Braden and Davey with the worst WrestleMania matches ever that they will be uh, counting down and figuring out which was the worst of them all. Uh, so that will kick things off at noon, and the whole schedule is up at postwrestling.com slash podcast day. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, is the first of the month, so it's the best time to sign up. You get access to all of our archives, every single Rewind Away, and all of our WrestleMania Week coverage as well. We will have quite a lot up on the site, and we're here live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights after Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown. Uh, which will be the case this Friday at 10.15 Eastern for all patrons as we will be opening up the phone lines. Yeah, uh, very exciting. And, you know, if you're not a patron, there's still plenty of stuff on the free feed as well. Coming out this weekend, we have another edition of The Long Winding World Road with WH Park. And, uh, yeah, we hope you'll tune in for all that. And when is the – when is – uh? MCU later coming out this weekend. Is that Sunday? That'll be coming. That'll be coming on a Saturday night. So it'll be a bit of a long day for me, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to talking about this because um, I'm not just joined by WH Park for this edition. I'm also be joined. I'll also be joined by Shane McDonough to help us uh, maybe navigate some of the ongoing stories in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So uh, I'm looking forward to 
watching that and talking about it. All right. Keep your ears open for all of those shows. Postwrestling.com is your place to be. So go check out all of that, all of the latest news. And that's it for us. Thank you for listening to Rewind to Dynamite.